Hi and welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast. This is a weekly show dedicated to all things Port Adelaide Footy Club. I'm your host, Macca19, and for this episode we are playing part two of our discussion on the events of 1990. We hope you enjoy. Well, let's uh, let's go back to on-field. Um, all the shits hit the fan in terms of the announcement is out. We're playing West Adelaide at, uh, at Albert and Oval, round 15. Scott Hodges has gone bananas. He's kicked 14 goals. We've won by 100 points. Um, tell us a little bit about what happened with KG. Well, he's he's gone to call a game between the, the top-ranked team at the time, I, I, I reckon we were, and um, West Adelaide, who were somewhere near the bottom. It was a game that that uh, that wouldn't have been covered normally, but um, KG was going to make a point. He's a you know, staunch West Adelaide supporter and supporter of the Sandful, and Port Adelaide are just absolutely destroying them. And then he's he's made the point of leaving halfway through the last quarter. He's marched down the ground, and he's basically pushed through the crowd. You know, I mean, we've all been to Albert, and we all know that there are channels you can walk through on the mound in front of the Williams Stand without actually getting in contact with anyone, but. He was. He had the camera crew there, and I mean, it was, it was pretty much staged like the WWE. You know, you knew what was coming, and sure enough, it did. And he was chesting and pointing fingers and things like that. And it, it was, um, it was funny, I guess. I still remember that to this day. It was just a bizarre <laughs> thing to see. It's just, you know, a TV commentator, you know, someone that reads the news, and he's sort of bustling his way through, throwing elbows around and, you know, getting in people's faces. It's, it was just like a rabid sort of drunk bloke that, uh, that was leaving the ground. Oh, yeah. It was, I'm going to, I'm going to show you something. And of course, you know, who was going to do anything? And there was a bit of back chat and people, you know, got back into his face, but, but that was about as, as heated as it got. Yeah. So we ended up, you go, Nick. No, I just, it was, the, it was the, the physical nature of it was just blown out of proportion. There was there was no fisty cups or anything like that. It was just a few words, no worse than it had been sort of said at any ground that year between uh, my position spectators. Very true. Now we ended the season in uh, in pretty dynamic fashion. We beat Sturt at Adelaide Oval by about twenty five goals. Yeah. Um, Scotty Hodges kicked eleven um, in one of the biggest victories of all time. Um, then we followed that up with a, an 80-point victory at Alberton over Centrals, um, and then followed that up again by uh, another 80-point win over Nord in the last round yeah. um, at Footy Park in front of 20,000 people. Scotty Hodges kicked eight. Yeah. Um, so we went into the finals. Did lose the game in that period? No, ever since. Yeah, that's right. We didn't lose from the up time the, the announcement was made. In fact, we went bananas. We we almost made a point of, you know, we're going into the AFL and this is why we're going to do it. We're going to kill every team we can possibly do. Yeah. Um, and then the final like, started. It's almost like we're, we're AFL standard already. You know, we don't need to be in this competition. We're too good for it. We, we probably right. had we're like, making a point. There were probably a dozen guys in that side that, that have either played AFL or, or could step back up into it or could have stepped up into it. Um, would have would have fitted comfortably into that level of competition 
um, from right from the outset. And, you know, there was the absolute champion of the game, you know, named Gavin Wanganeen, who who was playing his first year that year. And then you had the Hodges, Brown, Phillips, Abernethy. You know, it was, um, you know, Benny Harris, Mark Williams, uh, David Hines, just an extraordinary lineup of players. And, of course, Simon Tregenza, who in his first two well, full seasons of SNFL footy finished second and third in the McGarry medal. Good, good old Kruger. He came second in that medal count that year to Scott Hodges. He did. He did. By vote. <laughs> now, the final started. We finished top of the ladder. We won the minor premiership. Um, and we played our arch-nemesis, Glenelg, in the second semi-final. Now, Glenelg was the team that uh, that started the injunction. Is that correct? That's the one. So there was a lot riding on this game, and it didn't go too well. We actually lost uh, by him. It was it was amazing. Um, I think we we went in there. I think Kale had said after the game that we we weren't on our on our game at all. Basically, too, by then the AFL thing had fallen over. I think there was it would have probably been pretty close to just before that game that that we were basically cooked as far as that went, and. Um, and from well, I remember Carl saying that the, their minds just didn't seem to be on it in training leading up to the game. Yeah. And we went to that game, and I don't think we could have played any worse. And you know, Scotty Hodges still kicked seven goals, yeah. and still we lost. And I, I still remember to this day uh, Rossi Gibbs doing the little fist pump in the goal square um, when he basically got, cleared the ball out of there and, and they knew they were going to win it. They were still they were 11 points up and it was well into time on. And and I, I reckon anyone that saw that would have followed that away in the, uh, the mental catalogue and saved it up for the next time. Yep. Now let's... Just, just, just to put it into context what uh, Ford said before, it was the 19th of September that the uh, VFL or AFL decided to go with the Sandful, um Composite side, and that second semi was the 22nd. So it definitely yeah. would have been raw. Yep. Now, the following week, we played North Adelaide in the prelim final in, 20, in front of uh, 25,000 people at Footy Park. Now, of course, the year before, we played them in the grand final um, in what's become as a, quite a famous match where North only kicked the one goal. Um, now, what's your memories of the prelim forward? Because this was a pretty similar result to that in the end. It it was um, it was just extraordinary. Um, in the second quarter, we led fifteen five to one goal one. We just came out and it was like, okay, we stuffed the Glenelg game. Someone on a pay. Let's make it North Adelaide, and they just blew them apart. I think Scotty Hodges kicked fourteen goals. Um, at quarter time, we led 10 goals to one. We wound up winning 28-14 to 14-7. The midfield that had been almost anonymous against Glenelg just lit up. I mean, everyone really put in. And, but the funny thing is about that game is that it's a, the, the thing I remember vividly is the nearly losing, I think, three players injury um for the grand final, it was a it was a week of you know just your heart was in your mouth, and I think um, uh, Roland Smith had his jaw broken by Kim Chom. Um, and uh, I researched on this topic, um, 
earlier this year. I mean, I've, I've, they had the photo on the back page and the advertiser back then, and they actually had right at the point of impact. And, and it is a most horrendous sight. You know, it is the elbow just smashing into his jaw. I think he broke it in three places. Um, I've watched that game numerous times because um, I've got it on DVD. And Kim Klomp in that first quarter and 10 minutes before that Rowan Smith incident happened, you knew something was going to happen because he was flogging people left, right and centre oh, yeah. behind the play. He was throwing his elbows about, throwing punches behind the play. There was going to be a point where things went really bad, and it did. And, and yeah, and he well, he, he broke Rowan's jaw in three places, put him out of the, the grand final. I think got seven matches for it. Um, David Brown pulled a hamstring right in the last few minutes of the game. Timmy Jennifer rolled an ankle, and there was a, that was touch and go all week whether he would play. And he played, and I don't think he he probably shouldn't have. He certainly, I don't think he was fit. But I think we'd lost so many players up to that already that he just had to put himself over the line. Uh, North East had been reported for for clocking Clomp, but he got off, and. Um, David Hutton, David Hutton copped the biggest hip and shoulder I've ever seen. He's, in my he's life. running with the flight of the ball, and Darren Jarman's just come from the other way. There's no, no um, vision for the ball at all. He was just going to take him out, and he's absolutely smashed him. He's you know hurtled through the air, and you know, you're there at the time until he bloody hell, he's killed him. And David Hutton, yeah. was the toughest. That, that seemed to happen every week oh. for David Hutton. He seemed to get <laughs> knocked he's, out. I remember him. Or hip and Super great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You'd you'd be gone for half. I, I remember him. Dis, I think he dislocated his elbow at the beginning of the year in a in a uh, or not not that year, but in oh, must have been probably the ninety grand final or ninety four premiership year, and dislocated an elbow the the same game. Scotty Hodges broke his ankle, and uh, yep. yeah, ninety five. Did you say? That, that yeah, would about right. Yeah, you know, a couple of horrible injuries. The Huts was. You know, there was no use him going to the plastic surgeon uh, to fix his nose up until his his, his career was over too. But uh, you know, one of the loveliest yeah. blokes you could meet, a really a real gentleman and a lovely guy, and you know, always says hello and and uh, just one of the bravest players. You know, one of the fairest, bravest players you'd ever see. And and they were, he was a very good player. It's very absolutely, and, and those are, that was probably one of the great memories of that game, or not, not a great memory, one of them. The strongest memories of that game is just the the amount of damage that was inflicted on us as we you know we smashed North Adelaide like guitars, just absolutely destroyed them, took them to the cleaners, you know, walloped them off the ground. Scotty Hodges has kicked fourteen, but we've copped this, this slew of injuries, and you're thinking, you know, you've got Glenelg sitting there, they've had the week off, they're sitting and waiting for us. We've, we've come out of this game, you know, with, with a fair bit of damage done to us. And just how much would that affect us going into the big one? Well, this is one of my favourite grand finals. Just the, the entire lead-up of the whole season, everything riding on it. We were playing Glenelg. Hodges going for the goal-kicking record. I, I don't think there's been a bigger build-up for a grand final than this yeah, one. Even, even Foss could not have built up them against us any better than what happened for that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was... This was this was absolutely you know the good guys against Port Adelaide. It, it, it know, was good versus evil. All it was there, it was an epic you know the the tradition of the the maybe new tradition of George R R Martin and a, as a um, a doffing of the hat to Porsche I'd say that we were probably the the Lannisters of Casterly Rock versus the the Starks of Winterfell perhaps 
I think they probably had that the wrong way around because I think we had a few heads locked off by people during the year, but still we wouldn't go away. Well, let's talk about the grand final because it was a bloody good game. Um, Ford, were you there that day? I was indeed. I was, I was yep. there. Nick, were you there as no, well? No, unfortunately, I had a ticket to the um, AFL grand final. Of course, that was the year that Sumich missed uh, from 15 metres out drew the game and that, and that first uh, qualifying final got pushed back a week. Now, they were the good old days of 17% interest rates and $350 one-way fare. So I was on a bus driving back from the uh, AFL grand final. <laughs> Fair mm. enough. Uh, I've done the bus trip. Well, let... I know what it's like. Yeah. Well, what, what was the feeling like at the ground? I'm probably too young. I remember being at the ground. I remember the game. I remember the events that happened in the game, but I can't remember the feeling at the ground. Um, do you remember what it was like for I think, well, for me, by that time, it, it was pretty charged in, in terms of, you know, the, them against us. But I think when you, you come to a grand final, I think they're they're pretty pretty much the same, especially when you're a port supporter, that it's going to be them against us anyway. It, it may have been a bit stronger than usual, but... I guess after having gone through that all year, you got to that point of the game where, or, or the season where the bid was over. You know, we we'd been put in our place as far as you know most um, SA football followers were concerned, and uh, they wanted us put in our place maybe one more time. But our view was, no, we we're going to take something out of this year, and I think. Um, Maybe for other people it was different, but I, I think for me it was okay. This was another grand final we had to win. Maybe you know we wanted a bit more than others, but they're all for me a stomach churning event, and they're they're all fifty fifty games um, until they're decided. And uh, I guess yeah, for mine that the game was 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 certainly charged to to some extent, but. Not memorably so, like say the 1982 prelim final. I mean, which was just a, yep. which was just gothic that game. That that was one that, if you you ask me about which game will ever sit in my mind the most, in terms of a, a game, uh, just for the sheer passion or the the gothic nature of that. That's the one. There was something about that game, even before everything happened. It was everything, a dark, foreboding sky. The the 90 grand final started under sunny skies. The, the clouds rolled in and it started to get a bit bleaker. But um, I think once the game's underway, you're just so immersed in it. It's just, you know, you just want to win it. And, and it's everything's out the window at that point. Now, fair play to Glenelg. They were a bloody good footy team that year. Yes, they, um, they had... They had had won a lot of games. They had maintained a lot of their uh, premiership players from the late 80s. Um, this was something like their fourth grand or fifth grand final in six years, I think yeah, it was. Yeah, had a lot of good young um, players still in the side. And I, I think they'd only been set a point behind us the whole year. I think it was only yeah. they they dropped a game during our run of, of games from round 15 on. And we jumped over, back over the top of them. But I think um, they they they'd hung in there that that whole time. Mind you, they they'd done that in um, 1980 and 81 as well, and disappeared in straight sets in both finals. Or, or they did hang in 80 and got to the grand final, so they got themselves humiliated there again as well. But but this time they were there, and, and certainly in this game, they uh, they had come to play, as they say in the classics. 
I also had a full forward by the name of John Finch, who was kind of the polar opposite of what Scotty Hodges was back then. I mean, Hodges was this nimble, athletic, really quick um, player who could kick goals from absolutely anywhere. John Fidge was an absolute brute yeah. of a man. Um, just an absolute bulldozer who could take big marks on the lead and kick goals from, you know, 70 yeah, metres out. Body guys out and um, in close to goal. He was, a, he was a really strong bloke through the hips and the thighs and uh, could really hold position and, and either get you under the ball or just, just bowl you out of the way, basically. And I think he actually matched... Um, Hodges for goals per game that year. I think if he played the whole year, he missed a few games with injury, but I think he would have gone pretty close to sort of the 145, 150 goal mark himself as well. Picked a lot of goals. The one thing I remember about the Glenelg side of that year was that they were a big side. The, the Stringer brothers had sort of gone, so the, the guys that whack you behind play had left, but they still had a lot of big body sort of guys, and they were as big, if not bigger, than Port. And that's, uh, you know, um, Ford's written a lot about that over the years, how that we were always a bigger bigger than our opponents in the Sandford. But not that year. That, I said, I, that's what, the one thing that I have a long memory of is that how big and strong they were as, physically as a side that year. Yeah. I mean, they still had big guys like Chris Duthie and um, Alan Stringer yeah, and all these sort of Durfee guys. Duthie and Jamo were around players. then. And I think this half yeah, back right. and... Um, of course, uh, you know, the, the physically imposing Matthew Liptak. <laughs> yeah, Brett Dean. <laughs> yes, yeah, some, some yeah. jocks. Michael Murphy was a good size. Uh, he wasn't necessarily a great centre-half forward, but he's a big, strong guy. You know, John Seabone was a fair size. Yeah, Boothy and, yep. and uh, big Alan Bartlett. And, uh, and Murphy was as tough as it, yeah. he could get as well. You know, he wasn't he, he wasn't afraid to throw a Bartlett, Bartlett was a big bloke and uh, was a... Christie in the ruck. Yeah. Yeah, Gary Christie and uh, Melikin. Yeah, yeah. they were all big blokes. So the game started. As was already mentioned, we were without uh, David Brown. We were without uh, Rowan yep. Smith. Um, Jennifer did play, but was under you know a bit of an injury cloud. He, he, he wasn't moving. Marnie, Marnie played and wasn't fit. And Marnie wasn't fit. He was, he was done by yeah, pretty time, much. This is what I was just about to mention, you know, things look bleak when when you lose sort of two key midfielders like Smith and, and Brown, um, and with your sort of vice-captain in Geneva, or not vice-captain, but um, very good midfielder in, in Geneva um, under an injury, injury cloud as well. What you don't want to do is lose your captain in the first quarter, um, which is what happened with Russell Johnston, and lose Wayne Marnie in the second yeah. quarter as well. Yeah, and, and knowing that Geneva's sort of hobbling around pretty much. But I think, I guess, you know, the, the big one, of course, was the second quarter when, um, yep. when Scotty Hodges hurt his knee. Uh, He'd already kicked two goals, I think, to that stage. Yep, he would have He would have had that, I reckon. He, he kicked... Uh, he was in kick two. He was within two of the uh, equaling right. the record. Yep. That, that was, Went up for that was about the time on the bus trip that I could sort of get a signal on the radio in and out. And I, and I heard... <laughs> This has gone off with a knee injury. Looks like he's gone for the day. And I, and I said, oh, right. we're supposed to have, you know, we put my head down and sort of, no, we've got no chance. It was, it's certainly been rumours before the game that uh, we were going to try and take him out. Um, there were always rumours like that before games, though, so you're never quite new. But it, it certainly added just a little bit more edge to the atmosphere. I don't know if, you know, a lot of people were you know, aware of it at the ground, but it was certainly something that was 
passing among the players. Um, and, and that was, I think, the, the famous game too, where as Greg Phillips had a centre-half back, he walked by Scott Salisbury and said, if anything happens to Gavin Wanganeen today, you're not walking off this ground. Uh, so he he got the message straight away that none of his shenanigans were going to be tolerated, and um, and there was also that a spark of a in the uh, in the first quarter where uh, there was a couple of blues in the first quarter. Heinze had had just given um, either Bartlett or Doothy just a little clip behind the ear or, or, uh, after a goal had been kicked, and um, he just started you know he started throwing punches at Heinze, and Heinze could look after himself. He was uh, he was very handy with his fists, and then. Um, it was very reminiscent of uh, Trevor Sorrell in 1980. Yes, yes, it was, it was a bit of that going on. Crazy. So Hodges goes yeah. off the ground. I remember at the time thinking, oh, my God, Jeff <laughs> Jeff Phelps is running to full forward. Yeah. We are in a bit of and, trouble. Uh, and on comes Adrian Setry. And That's it. Uh, Big old kicks, set. Kicks, I think, a brace of goals in that second quarter. And um, I think uh, at that stage, they, they were just sort of... Um, I don't know if getting away from us, but I think they they were certainly in front. They were they were three goals up, I believe. Yes. I think they were either two or three goals up. They were pretty well in control of the game. Did you and then three goals came at on. the end of the first quarter? He did, and, yeah, um, in a couple of minutes. Yeah, and then uh, it was it was then like an arm wrestle the from there. But it was really sort of a, a, a six or seven minute period to end the second quarter where Port really took control of the game and. Um, obviously, Hodges went off the ground. Setri came on, kicked two goals. Um, uh, Mark Williams and Stephen Williams kicked two more just before the siren. Um, and suddenly, we were four goals up at the main break. I'm trying to think. Um, who, yeah. Was Setri the blonde, uh, the little blonde-haired guy that kicked two yeah. or three goals? Yeah, Hulk, little Hulk yeah. Hogan doll. Yeah, yeah. Yes. No, no, I remember. I remember yeah, watching the replay. There was, he, there was like a freak golden there where he was he was slung in a tackle and, and as he was slung he just threw it at his foot and the ball's hit his foot and it's gone bouncing off and you can see the Glenelg players are charging after it with about 30, 30 metres out I guess and the, no one's in the goal square and, and the ball just and it just it just got there over the line before they got there and uh, and that went through and then he um, he's he's uh, then grabbed another one off the hands of a off the pack, I think Hutt's kicked it forward and he's had a left foot snap across his body and you know, we're on a really tight angle and it's gone straight through the middle and, and we're going nuts and suddenly we're three goals up. And, uh, and then Stephen Williams kicked, kicked the goal just before the half, not long before the halftime siren. Uh, I think we're up 10-7 to 6-6 then. And just before the siren, um, Liptak's taken a mark 30 metres out and directly in front and he's missed after the siren. That's right. Yep. It was just an extraordinary quarter of footy because you've had Hodges go down injured and, and really didn't look like he was going to come back on. You've had Port looking like they're in they're in all sorts of trouble and then they've they've um they've had this burst of, of three goals and, and broken out a four goal lead. One either I think it was Mark, but it might have been um, Stephen Williams. There was a bit of play out in the outer wing. I remember when that was really tight. It was either a big tackle or a diving sort of smother, and and that's that's from what I remember. Sort of the momentum changed, and then that's when we sort of kick kick these goals. I, I can't remember. It was one of the Williams boys just did just did some grinding work, and almost seemed that's when the, the our momentum changed. I don't know. If you guys can recall that moment. I think 
I think we, I think we were, I don't know if there was a momentum shift exactly, because we'd, we'd been in, they'd been on top early in the quarter, but I think they kicked a lot of points, they kicked four points, and then we, we'd managed to get a couple of goals, and then they, they'd got one back, um, and then we had the, the um, Hodges injury, and it was looking really difficult, and suddenly we've, we've kicked, you know, three goals, four goals, and, and taken off. So we'll talk about the second half. Um, obviously, Hodges came back onto the field, which was yep. great. We needed that to happen. Um, and he, he took a mark early on, or he won a free kick. He had a shot for goal. He was in the pocket, and he missed the goals by about 45 metres. Yes. It almost yeah. went at right angles off his boot. And, and he nearly didn't come back on. He really At half-time, I know he's, he was really struggling. He was basically about just going to take the boots off and then he thought, oh, I'll give it one more go and he, he gave it a bit of a flex and he thought, oh, no, it's not that bad. I should be okay. Strap it up. We'll give it a go. And and then, yeah, went back out there. And he did end up, uh, he equaled the record in the third quarter um, with a shot uh, about 10 metres out in yep. front. Um, so he went into the last quarter with a four-goal lead, uh, sorry, a three-goal lead. Um, and Wanganin kicked a couple of sensational goals in that quarter. He did, yeah. You know, one absolutely. where he, he just um, took the ball off Salisbury in a tackle, sprinted in a goal and converted, and uh, and then he, he kicked another one where um, I think Hodges won the ball at ground level, got it over to Timmy Ginever, and, and uh, Timmy gave it to Wanganin and he chipped it over Ross Gibbs for a goal. It was yeah. the great yeah. stuff. And I think Fiji kicked another one for Grinnell and... Um, and then Murphy kicked one, so we were sort of back to 17 points at that stage. And uh, I think Scotty kicked his 151st goal um, late in the third quarter. That's right. Now that goal that, so that, goal that Wanganin kicked was just unbelievable. I just remember when I got home and watched the replay, I thought, a 17 year old kid can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was just amazing. You, know, you, could, you could see there that, that year, his first year, just what an extraordinary talent he was. And you look nowadays and you look at Chad Wingard and you see, you know, just how close the comparisons are in terms of their football ability and the way that they play on the... On the yeah, he, just, he, he doesn't have the, the speed Wanganin had. He was maybe the, the fastest player we've ever had. Um, you know, I mean, we had guys like McLeod and Bond and, they, and even Cockadoo Collins, they were all quick, but I don't think any of them were as quick as Gav. And he just had that cat-like reflexes, that amazing instinctive football brain. and just this... Um, blistering speed to go with it all that his legs were fast his brain was fast his hands were fast and it all worked together so beautifully so we really began to kick away with it in the last quarter i think we kicked the first uh, first three goals um we were up by around about 30 odd points um hodges broke the record yep. um he kicked another goal after that darren smith added another um and it looked like party time about yeah. 20 minutes in, it looked like party. Yeah, we, we'd gotten 29 points up, so I think 15 goals to 10. It was pretty late in the quarter by then. We'd really taken control of the game, and Scotty had broken the record, then Chuck popped another shrimp on the barbie just to, to put a bit of a, a bit more distance between him and, and Rick's old record. Yeah, and as you said, then the Smithies, Smithies lobbed one through, and... Um, it's it's looking it was looking pretty good 15, 15 goals I think it was, was it sixteen to ten in fact I think Darren Smith kicked another one later yep. 
Um, yep. And then it, it was it was like the 1977 grand final. We were further in uh, front in this game, but in, in 77 we'd gotten, I think, um, 26 points up, and I think we kicked the three goals in the last few minutes of the game and got it back to eight points. And and this one the same, not quite as dramatic because we had a bigger lead here with a 16 to 10 up at the bay. So he kicked the last three, and. Uh, and they had their chances. They oh, missed yeah. probably three shots which were pretty damn easy from within about 20 metres. And they just scuffed them and, and just missed them, hit the post, yeah, I think, we, once we were, still, well. we were still attacking and, and setting play up and but just couldn't kick a goal. And, and well, was, was it Fidji hit the post and a really simple one from about 15 out? Somebody hit the post from really close. I think so. I think it was Fidji. Gary, Gary Christie as well missed one. Um, yeah, I remember from about 10 yeah. metres out straight in front with a snapshot. And that would have put them back within, I think, almost within oh, two goals. About 14 to 16 then, and, and then with a couple of minutes left. But uh, sadly for them, they missed. That's it. Cheer, cheer, the black and the white. What a grand final. What a it, it was It was extraordinary. I think you really saw it then uh, post-match with the supporters and the players, and it, it was a relief as much as anything, and just the exhilaration of, you know, we've gotten something out of this. This is this year, this year that felt like it went for 10 years because of everything that happened and all of the events, and they were just, it, it was just a it, pandemonium on, on and off the field. And, of course, I think as we all know that down in the rooms, there was still another act to play out as Cornsy came out and decided that this was a perfect time to, for him to pontificate at Port's, <laughs> at Port's um, board and and have a, another spray at them about you know, what we've done to South Australian football and then um, being kindly asked by David Arnfield to perhaps take his views elsewhere because they weren't welcome in our change rooms. He did actually say something which I thought was pretty spot on in that um, Korn said something like, uh, logically, if you look at how the game played out before the game and, and in the first half, there was no logical reason why Port Adelaide should have won yep. today. And I do actually agree with that because we were missing you know, some very good players. We, we were down to no one on yep. the bench. Um, halfway through the second quarter. Glenelg had a full squad out there. They were fit, ready to go. Um, and look, logically, they really should have won that game. And that's so. the wonder of the sport. Yeah. It is, it's, there's a bit logic. That is, you know, absolutely. By heart. You can't put that down on paper. You know, you can sort of talk about it, but if the players have got it inside them and they they show it. So they, they can break down all those uh, things that are supposed to happen when you look at it on paper. That's it. The passion that we showed that day was more than, you know, it, it's definitely up there with 94, um, 2004. I mean, that was just, you know, we willed ourselves over the line. Um, Pretty much. It, it was it was extraordinary because there was um, so much riding on it and so much emotion uh, through that whole season and, and people just wanted us to fall over and we just refused to do it. That's it. So who, who were your best players on the day, mate? Well, George won the the Jack Odie medal, as I recall, and and fittingly so. He was he was just superb across that back line. He he marshaled the back line. I mean, I watched the game again um, a few months back, and you just marvel at what he did. The number of times he cut off attacks, he was at the archetypal attacking back pocket. He'd get the ball, and he wasn't just you know defensively 
hugging the boundary line. It was he would get it and he would attack with it and he'd run the thing up over the centre line. You know, if George got the ball, the ball would be out of our back line. Yep. That was every time. He was he was just a behind in the ruck was just amazing. Just uh, he carried the ruck for the three quarters and you said John I went down by quarter time with an injury and Heinze loved that. He just loved that shit. He would play out of his skin in those games. And I, I remember once um, in a state game we were playing Victoria and um, we were getting smashed in the ruck. I can't remember who the ruck was, but um, the Vicks had, you know, Damien Monkhurst in the ruck. He was like six foot eight and they had some other, you know, 200 and something centimetre monster backing him up. And I'm going, who's going to ruck for us? And someone said, we should throw Heinze in the ruck. And I'm thinking, Heinze, you insane. He's six foot three. You see the size of these guys? Well, anyway, they did throw Heinze in the ruck, and I think he he won the uh, the Foss Williams medal. I, I reckon yep. absolutely destroyed both of these monsters. And these other uh, couple of supporters looked at me and go, "So you were saying?" And I go, yeah, "Okay." He was a big game oh, player, Heinze. He was a big game player. He did it in 1988. Sensational, and and Hodges kicked six and was just you know for, he's done his knee. You think he's come out in the second half, kicked four goals, broke the record, presented a take. He kicked six six, I think, yeah, yeah, he and a couple out another the, ten goal game. It, it wasn't like he was just there sitting up, holding up a, a, a forward pocket, a prop up against a point post. He was just dominating up there. He's blasting away at goals. If his knee had been all right, he probably would have kicked 10, as you said. I mean, Phillips has just destroyed everything that came his way at centre-half back. He's, he's thrashed Murphy out of the position. And, you know, Phillips, before the game, I know he said in the footy budget quote, saying that he was general of the defence. He let... He let Murphy get away from him. I think he kicked a few goals on him in that second semi, and he said, "You know, I've I've got to do better." And he's just he's just destroyed him. And you know, Williams, Tregenza, Abernethy, Hutton, the midfield that that really had a quiet second semi final. They all did something. It was just you know, it was a game of heroes. I guess you know, it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? But but it truly was because we lost really good midfielders before the game. We lost really good midfielders in the game. We had Buckman who'd been beaten pointless in the second semi final, and they all came to play and they all lifted and they all played the best the best footy they could. I don't. There was no one in that game you would you would point a finger at and say, you know, you didn't pull your weight and there were guys that were unlucky with injury and, and didn't get the chance, but even when they were on and they did something. Yeah. REH, what do you reckon, mate? The game obviously the club were playing for something more than the I mean, we've played in so many grand finals, but just played in a way that I don't think they were ever gonna lose. Okay, I only watched the replay but and I knew the result, but just watching the way they played, they were men possessed. Because, um, you know, they all had their, at their moments where they threw a hell of a lot at us, but they were never going to lose. Yeah. I can remember once I just came out and he, and he kicked a goal. I remember being on the bus and I just yelled out, yes! And people <laughs> looked at me and I thought, okay, he's kicked a goal, he can kick more. Um, but, 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 I, but on the replay, you just... Uh, you, you just got the sense that we, we were never, whenever they got their momentum swings, it was never long enough that they were going to come up over the top of us. That's right. The only thing might have been at the end, we, all, we were obviously so buggered at the end because uh, you know, I, I reckon we probably had about 14 or 15 fit guys on the field the last five minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah there, was, there was, you know, was nobody left. Yeah. You, know, you, you wouldn't have even in a modern football 
AFL sense with your three interchange and your one reserve. And we still would have had a couple of guys basically just, you know, sitting in a forward pocket, propping up a point post. And I think the, so the thing that pulled a hamstring as well during the game and yeah. he was really proppy and and well, you look at that from through 80, 88, 89, 90, and, and we were losing players to the AFL, you know, fairly regularly. We'd lost, I think, Delaney and Obst had gone by that time. Phil Harrison had retired. Um, you, and and yet Cale kept finding kids to put in there. I think is that you look at what happened to us in, say, from 2004 on where, where Troco just kept sticking with the same old blokes again and again and again. And, you, you watch with Kale that he would lose blokes and he would bring in kids and, and the thing with Kale was that he, he had his favourites and there were guys he would bring back for a final. Like we we would always lose someone for a grand final. And Richard Foster was a classic. Like he Richard Foster he brought him back for this final because he knew Foster wouldn't let him down in a final. Gone in ninety five again. Yep. He brought him back and he played in this game and he was just superb and he's he's done this time and again, Kale of I've seen him. Uh, I've seen him. Tony Hannon was his favourite one. Hannon, he pulled Hannon back out of the country. Pulled yeah. Hannon back out of the country to play a game. But he was there was always there was always someone in the reserves, or you know, in this case, in the country. In Hannon's case, and he would he would pull them because he he trusted them in a big game. And during the season, you could see him weed out the guys he didn't trust. There would be guys who they might pull out of a contest or not quite commit enough, and they might get to play twenty two minor round games. They might even get to play in the semi final. Become a grand final, they when there was always you know there were 21, 21 spots and twenty two guys, they would be the one that would miss out. And the bloke who got himself knocked out, going putting his head over the ball, or as Timmy Ginnivel would famously say, putting his head in the hole, is the bloke that would get the game. And I think you saw that year after year with Kale that he could turn that side over. He could bring in kids, but he could still stick with those guys that he really trusted, and and they would never let him down. And like something he learned in 1976 as well, um, as horrible as that year was in terms of that final result, I think it, it forged a very strong steel in the furnace of that grand final. Yep. Now, Georgie Fiacci, he won the Jack Odie, as, uh, as yep. you mentioned, 40. He had a brilliant game across halfback. Um, and in his speech, he said something which I think resonates with all Port supporters now in that you know, no, no matter what you read in the press, there's always going to be a Port Adelaide Football Club. Yep. And and he and he lived that dream with the whole one club concept. Um, Twenty five years later. He did. Yep. My maths good there. <laughs> Twenty three. Yeah. Uh, Twenty two. Yep. I think well, it's Twenty ten that uh, we started the one club. Yeah, was it was it twenty ten? Twenty ten. Yeah, twenty ten, and he got on he got on the board at the end of last year. Twenty twenty years in. Yep. I, I hate having to talk about history in fractions of a century. <laughs> oh dear. Well, what a season, nineteen ninety. That's one I'll always remember. Um, that I'll probably put ahead of all the other premierships we won. I think, you know, as interesting as nineteen ninety four was, and we might do a review of that. Um, another day as well, uh, but I think 1990 will probably always stand as number one. And it, it's just an extraordinary year, an extraordinary year of you know of not just football, football events and world events and football events within those world events and of a season that 
that I mean, you're halfway through a season, you're, you're thinking, okay, we're on our way to we another tilt at the finals. We, we could win three in a row, and then it just it just blew up. You know, it was a, almost a, a nuclear explosion, and uh, it's just an extraordinary, extraordinarily memorable year. Good stuff. It was a different year of footy. There's no doubt about that. The, the pressure on the guys that year were... I don't think we've ever replicated it. No, no I don't, I don't that's a fair call. Yeah. We, we, you can talk about 2004, you know, we'd we stuffed up three finals and in particular, not so much 2001 because we were young, but we expected to make grand finals in two and three and there was a hell of a lot of pressure on four. And, uh, you know... Basically, the season didn't start till September because everything else, whilst you needed to win it, was meaningless. So it was a strange sort of season, uh, and there was a lot of pressure on the players. But 1990 was just another level altogether. And I don't think 2004 had that expectation anymore because we'd, we'd bombed a couple of years almost. It was more a resignation. You say, you know, I, I hope we can do it. Whereas in 1990, we'd, we'd won already one, two flags in a row. We were the we were still the best. We were the best side in the competition. We were minor premiers. You know, we'd, we'd smashed everything in sight to get to that that final series. And so you go in there expecting to win. It was the old, you know, magpies expect to win philosophy. And uh, it's probably again, you know, it's something that's just couldn't be replicated. The the, ex, this, the expectation was to win, and and the expectation was magnified to win because. Of all the events that had happened amongst, at least amongst Portsmouth, it was all right. We, we're going to take something out of this year. They're not going to take this away from us. Yeah. And yeah, there, there's always a debate about the old supporters and the new supporters and the power and not the magpies. But if you live through that year, it's hard not to have you know moved those expectations onto once we got into the AFL because we were denied getting into the AFL the next year. But it's almost like these guys had to carry a burden that no other side has had to, had to do, and they achieved it. It's almost like, well, why can't our AFL guys do it? We know the last four or five years that we've been really in the shit. It's, it's almost like, how come they can't, can't raise themselves out of it? Yeah. Absolutely. Unfair, unfair expectations, but no, that's just, that's but just that's history. That's like. what happens when, when the, those who come before you have done such extraordinary things. Yep, spot on. Yep. All right, guys. Well, we might leave it there for this evening. Um, I think uh, we've covered a lot of ground. We have, absolutely. Ford, thanks for coming on, mate. Thank you very much for inviting me. REH, absolute pleasure. Thanks, Mike, for the invite. We will we'll have to do this again with another year, I think, with another season. Yep, yep. All right, lads, go the power. Yep, uh, absolutely. Go, go for it. Buy you direct. What up, mate? Can I uh, just endorse uh, what Chris said? We can look at the uh, game, the teams on paper, and look what happened during the start of the game. There was absolutely no logical reason why Port Adelaide should have won today. We had everything going for us in terms of the way the, the games fell for us in that regard, and the way the first and second, the first quarter happened. When you look at the logical reasons, uh, you'd say, why didn't we win? And you've got to then look at the emotional reasons. And they encompass emotion, discipline, desperation, commitment. And that's where the advantage was, and that's where you guys were magnificent. And I really do want to say to John, well done. He's always a tough competitor. 
and he's done it very, very well. To the guys, you can be really proud of yourself. As I said, there was no logical reason why you should have done it. Family. <laughs> well, it may be family. <laughs> in, that regard, you have my, in that regard, you have my respect and my admiration. But I want to tell you that uh, you want to enjoy this moment for what it is. Because the good times are well and truly gone. Apart from Jack and the players, there's a couple of individuals out there who are responsible for that. And uh, make sure you enjoy tonight because the good, times, the good times will not happen again. Well done, boys. Thank you. Yes, and there's John Carr, a very happy man, John Carr, three in a row, uh, Graham, he'd be delighted, in fact, uh...